The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. All right, it's now 306 on the 630 Chat Afternoon News. Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday edition again. As you, as you've just heard, your Oilers are in action tonight. Who are they playing? They're playing the Dallas Stars. Dallas Stars, the uh, City Ford Faceoff right. show at 5:30, the puck drop at 7. Uh Scott Holmes joins us in studio this afternoon. He is an air racing pilot who just returned from the Air Race One China Cup That's correct. in China. And we 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 talked to you before you were going over there. We wanted to find out more about this, but uh, you, you just got back a couple of days ago, and we wanted to find all about find out all about this sport because it seems a little um, little crazy. Little fun and wild and adrenaline fueled and dangerous. Yeah, what is this? Yeah, perhaps just describe the yeah. sport for us. So what we do is we build our own airplanes in our garages, uh, <laughs> and then Red ship flag. them to where <laughs> ship them to wherever the race is. And the whole purpose behind this airplane is to go really fast, and it's compromised on everything else. So they don't fly well, and they're really small, and they make a lot of power, and they're very unreliable. And so we show up at the race location, put the planes together, and then uh, line up with eight planes on the runway at once. Eight planes on the runway at once. Okay, yeah. that's a pretty wide runway, isn't it? Uh, no, we line up in three rows, sometimes oh, four rows, sometimes two rows, depending on how wide the runway okay. is at the venue. Okay. And uh, when we're all lined up, we all fire up and get all strapped in, get our helmets on and everything, and then uh, the green flag drops. And when the, gle- when the green flag drops, we uh, all fire a wallet. Uh, so we're all full throttle at that point, and it's a it's a race, a drag race to the first pylon, and so <laughs> On the we, ground. we set up six telephone poles out in wherever the venue is. Okay. Uh, sometimes they're flags. Uh, at Reno, for example, they're telephone poles. Okay. Reno's kind of a good example, uh, and it's about three miles around, right over the airport, and so you you can see the whole course uh, right in front of you. And so we're only ever about maybe 100 feet off the ground, 150 feet most. Sometimes we're down at 50 feet. 50 feet's the fast line. Okay. And uh, the first one on the on or to home pylon or to first pylon or depends on how the course setup works is the pole position, and he's leading. And then we fly eight laps around this circular course right beside the runway, and the first one that you're flying wins. between between poles. Around the pole. So Around it's kind of like NASCAR. So the, okay. the track's about the same size as maybe Daytona. All right. What? Okay. So it's, it's very easy to see, and we're at 50 to 100 feet, so everybody can see it right on the treetops. Uh, the only real rule is you have to pass on the outside. <laughs> and so what that means is uh, you have to fly a little bit of a longer course. So you have to be going a little bit faster than the next guy to get by mm-hmm. him. So the pilot skill component comes in where you can actually climb on the guy and every lap gain a little bit of altitude, and then when you get the straightaway, you can dive on him and get enough airspeed to get by him and then take the inside line again. Oh, I could ask a much uh, better question if I had taken physics. So (laughs) you're taking advantage of what then? By gaining altitude and diving, you're picking up velocity? Right, so if I'm if I'm in say second place and I want to overtake the leader, yeah. I'll be flying on his right side as okay. he's making the turns on both ends of the course. So there are 3G corners, 3G turns at both sides, so we're pulling quite high G-force mm-hmm. too. And the engines are wide open, there's airplanes everywhere. Uh, so I'm on his right, and every lap I can gain a little bit of altitude on him. And then by the time I have enough altitude to make the pass, I can use that altitude, convert it to airspeed, come down to his altitude, which could be only 50 feet lower than me, and then get enough speed to get by him and then take the inside line. And, and he can't block you? Uh, well, there's no such thing as blocking because the course is air, right? 
Right. So as long as he's on the inside, he's got the fastest line. Okay. And so I can't go inside him because right, we right. end up blind on each other and we can hit. We can have but, a miss. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what I was thinking. Like, he can't move a little to the outside to make you take a, a longer pass around him. Well, he, he can try, but the course is so big that it slows <laughs> him down, too. Right. So he doesn't really lose, or he doesn't gain anything on me by doing that. Okay, Scott, I'm still trying to figure out how y'all take off at the same time. Basically, you keep your head on the swivel, <laughs> and you pre-brief it. And so we kind of know where everyone's going to end up okay. on the start. So you all take off behind one another, is that right? Uh, or you're three across, three rows? We're three, two, three on the wide runways. Okay. Sometimes we're two, 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 and sometimes we're four, four. Okay. So how's so, it picked who's in, the, fir- in right. the front row? So it depends on how we qualify. Oh. So we do two okay. laps. All right. So the, the race format, that's one race. So one race is eight laps. Okay. So uh, the whole event, which goes over about four days or so, involves a practice flight, a qualification, which is two laps as fast as you can go, open course. By yourself. Uh, by yourself. Yeah. And then we rank each other based on how we qualified. And then the top eight airplanes go in what we call the gold race. Okay. The next eight go in the silver and the next eight go in the bronze. So we do heat racing from that point. Okay. And every day we do a heat race. And so, for example, if you say blow your engine trying to qualify and you get a and you didn't get a time, you start at the back of the bronze. So then you go in the back of the first heat race or the, of the bronze heat race. Okay. If you win the heat race, you can move up to the silver. Ooh. And if you win the next heat race, so they you run can the move bronze first, then they run the silver, then they right. run the gold. Okay. So the the speed range in the class is from about uh, 160 miles an hour through 260 miles an hour. So it gets a little bit unsafe when you put a 260 mile an hour airplane against the 160 mile an hour. Oh, airplane. that's that's you got when it gets unsafe. Miles an hour of closure speed. <laughs> right, and the planes are all not identical, right? They're all actually not a single airplane is the same as the next one because they're all custom designed and built by their pilots and owners. And is there any requirement that the engine can't be beyond a certain velocity or height or width? Or, I mean, is there any kind of rule that I, you must adhere to? Yeah, th- this class has been around since, like, I think before World War II. They used to call it midget racing. Okay. And the only real rule was you had to use uh, the uh, f- the formula engine, which in this case is a Continental O200. Oh. So it's a four-cylinder, horizontally opposed airplane engine that's commonly found in the Cessna 150. Okay. So it's a really common small airplane mm-hmm. engine that typically puts out about 100 horsepower. Okay. And we push about 160. <laughs> how, Scott, how did you start doing this? Well, I started doing aerobatics back in uh, university. Uh, biplanes with mm-hmm. big engines, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Just the fuel burn alone was outside of what I could afford. Yeah. So I started traveling down to California uh, quite a bit, going to uh, cool fly-ins, air shows, that kind of thing, and met a couple people down there that uh, um, they fly uh, experimental airplanes for a living. They said, we well, should check out Formula One air racing at Reno. And at the time, Reno was the only race out there. And so I went down there and checked it out. And so they, these planes are small. They're 500 pounds. They run O200, which is like six gallons per hour or $40 an hour in gas. That's uh, you can buy one for the same cost as a Honda Civic. And I thought that's perfect <laughs> for a university kid. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's just right up my alley. Well, you're losing money not to. Yeah, I can modify <laughs> yeah. it. I can hot rod it. Yeah, I can yeah. do whatever I want to make it go fast. And I think, I think Andrew thinks that... Uh, <laughs> oh, I think we all think it. Oh, I, I'm not. I, I, I get the I get the idea of the uh, the adrenaline the oh, adrenaline sure. rush and, yep. and and that. What is it that you love about this? I, I love that it's an adventure. So I'm a I'm an engineer, 
Uh, I like to build things. I used to build Lego airplanes all the time mm-hmm. back when I was a kid. And uh, so I really like that I can take my plane home and I can, I can design. I, I have a cool idea, right? So I can go home, I can design it, uh, do some math on it. I think it'll work. I go into the garage, build it out of carbon fiber, put it in the airplane and go test it. And then uh, make enough modifications and you end up with a very fast airplane that's very competitive in the sport. Now, so, does anyone sponsor you or, or how do you pay for all this? Yeah, so uh, I keep my airplane out at the Energy Efficient Homes Hangar out okay. at Villeneuve. And yeah. so they're very, very good to us out there. Um, Precision Services, uh, one of the guys on my team uh, owns a company that builds like luxury wine racks. <laughs> and, uh, wine racks. Okay. Actually, it's funny because the uh, the way that we build these fixtures to put them in containers and ship these planes around the world has very similar skills required as wine racks. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have the sense. best shipping fixtures out there. I'll bet. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to find out more now about luxury wine well, racks. Really? It's like, okay, so you just went to China. That's right. And, and raced there, but it sounds like the race in China was even wilder than what you normally would do, let's say, in Reno. Yeah, it's, uh, the, going over there is an adventure. Going to Asia is always an adventure, not to mention bringing an airplane. Yeah. Sure. And so there's lots of uh, uh, complications with flying in China because general aviation is completely restricted. So they're not allowed to go uh, have a private airplane and fly it over there. So only recently has the government allowed you to, f- to fly your million-dollar Cirrus airplane, little yeah. four-seater, within like a five-kilometer radius of the airport. That's all they're allowed to do. Hmm. And so they d- they're trying to grow general aviation over there, and they've, they've heard of racing, and they decided to bring us over. And so it was, uh, it was quite an experience. Like, for example, we weren't allowed to... Well, if we said the word Mayday at Reno, they're free because... We want to have a keyword where we roll fire rescue because when the engines blow up, bad things happen. Sure. So we want the, 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 the fire truck on you as you're rolling out mm-hmm. smoking or whatever. Where in China, if we say the word Mayday, we didn't exactly know what was going to happen. They weren't free anymore. Well, that's a conversation you should probably have in advance. Right. So yeah. our, uh, we bring over uh, American crash fire rescue guys that train the, the locals over there. Yeah. And so we trust them. And we know them, and it's the same people every time. And so in this case, we said, Tim, roll the trucks. And that was our code word for Mayday, Mayday, help. <laughs> so uh, there was a lot of complications with flying in China. The other one that killed us was the visibility. I was going to say, isn't the smog? Yeah, and so when uh, the, the hardest part, or one of the most dangerous parts of these races is the recovery. And so when we come off the course, quite often we have eight airplanes coming off the course, so they're all finishing around the same time, right? So we have eight airplanes trying to recover and land at the same time, over the airport, most of them way too hot or hard to see or that kind of thing, uh, with radios that don't work very well. And so uh, in China, we'd pull off the course and disappear because the visibility was horrendous and the clouds were low and we fought that all week. And so we, uh, we learned a lot about recovering in bad visibility when you can't <laughs> see other airplanes and, and the true value in radio communication. How, how long's this sport been around? Uh, since the 30s, I think. So really? Back in the golden age of air racing. And how many Canadians participate in this sport? Uh, there used to be two. Right now there's only one. What happened to the other guy? Uh, he decided he, wa- he wanted to try something different. Oh, and yeah. He got into some other business opportunities down in Calgary and decided <laughs> to sell his airplane. So there's you. So right now there's just me. There's another guy out east building a racer. And then uh, actually there's another guy that just bought a racer uh, based out of Villeneuve as well. So he's just getting started. Mm. How do you prepare for one of these races when you're getting into the plane? Um, like in, in your mind, 
what are you thinking? What's going through your going through your mind? Like, just let's go as fast as we can and win. So we uh, we brief really well in advance. Yeah. And so we talk about how the race is going to go, what the weather is, what what works well, what doesn't, uh, what to expect, that kind of thing. We all create a plan. Then we uh, the crew tows the airplane out, and quite often the pilots walk because uh, the airplanes can't taxi. They they'd overheat. They're racing airplanes. And so the pilots walk to kind of cool themselves off, relax a little bit. Um, the nerves start flowing, the jitters start going. It's an only eight-minute flight, so it's mm-hmm. not that bad. But uh, the risk is high. And so yeah. everybody gets nervous no matter how many times you've raced. And then uh, the, the crew pulls the plane into position. I walk over. I uh, get my parachute on, my helmet on. And as What's soon as the, the point helmet of a parachute on, at the altitude you're talking about? Well, it's, it's mostly for fire and the mid-air risk. Okay. And so uh, when the engine blows up or, or a fuel line comes off or something and you end up with a huge fireball, mm. you get horribly burned in the airplane and you can, you can get out of it right away. And so uh, at 50 feet, when bad things happen, the best thing we can do is pull up as hard as we can and convert all that airspeed to altitude. Then we safe out the engine, do whatever else we have to do, get the airplane under control, and then we can make a decision on what's next. So at any point around the course, we know uh, we have a mayday plan. We have a a plan on if the engine blows up, I'm going to glide here, I'm going to glide there, that kind of thing. But if I have a midair, say in the recovery, or the engine's on fire, bailing out might be a better option. Have you ever done that? No. Okay, good. Knock on wood, I hope I never have to. What is it like for you after the race? Like, are, you must just be, like, jacked for hours, or you, you are, and then you just completely crash from the adrenaline. So, I've been uh, I've been racing for three, four years now, and so the first couple races, you, I was very uh, adrenaline jacked. Um, but then over time, that starts to go away, and, and more of the, uh, uh, you get to know how, it's, it becomes routine and normal. Yeah. And so the very first thing we do after we all land is we debrief. We have mm-hmm. a very quick round-the-table session talking about what worked and what didn't, what our concerns were. And when the brief is over, we go and do the crowd thing, meet the crowd, relax, take the airplane back in, and then do the uh, tear-down and post-race inspection. Wow. And, and are there crowds? Uh, typically, yes. Like, they were expecting, they said around 500,000 in China. We didn't get that because it rained every day. Ooh. It was terrible weather. 500,000? So how many did you get? Uh, I have no idea, but it wasn't that many. Oh. So they had they had the whole venue set up for that many people, but yeah, yeah. because of the rain, it, it didn't turn out that well. Yeah, but you've raced down in Nevada as well, you said. Yeah. And at what kind of size crowd do you get for that? I think they get uh, two hundred thousand, maybe for oh, really That's four wild. days. Yeah, as That's just to see this race, or is it part of something else? So down in Reno, they have six classes of racing. Okay. Uh, we race in Formula One, which is one of those classes, and right now we're the only international class. Gotcha. So these Formula planes come apart really easily, and so you can ship them all over the place. Right. How many hours of flying time do you have? <laughs> so, uh, out of the 30 teams in the world or so that can race Formula One, uh, about maybe 27 of them are professional pilots. Okay. I'm not. I have 350 hours. <laughs> Three, 350? Yeah. Okay. So, I'm I'm A professional really would have, time. what, 20,000, 30,000? Yeah, 10,000, 5,000, yeah, yeah. and that wow. kind of thing. Th- does anyone ever worry that they're flying next to somebody who only has 350 flying hours? Well, it's funny. It's not so much the number of hours, it's the type of hours. Okay. So it's kind of like a race car. You can't take a truck driver who has 20,000 hours in a truck and put him in a race car and expect him to do well, right? Right. So uh, if you have a, a racing driver 
and you put him in a race car, he's going to do better. Scott Holmes joining us in studio. Uh, he is an air racing pilot. People are like, is this remote control? Is he on the ground? No, he's in these planes <laughs> flying this, uh, Chedville. He is. We'll take a quick break uh, right now when we come back, because you do have a real job. Yeah. I mean, this isn't your real job. want to just touch on that for a bit, but to see where you think uh, this sport is going in Canada moving forward. Scott Holmes joining us in studio. He is an air racing pilot, just returned from the Air Race One China Cup in uh, Wuhan City, China. And um, the more we're talking about this and the more learning mm-hmm. about it, I am I am more and more fascinated by this as we go. You had a question about kind of the development. I, I did, because I was curious to know, and I thought our listeners would like to hear your answer as well, as to whether or not the modifications that you make to your planes, you or any of the other pilots, end up changing how airline or air, air uh, manufacturer airplane manufacturers manufacture planes or do they in some way innovate the industry so the uh, air racing is about innovation and the sport is very much about how you can make your plane go faster and so the sport continues outside of the race back home in the garage working on these modifications and so when you look back in history a lot of the world war ii fighter plane technology came out of the 30s air racing technology Hmm. and so today what we're doing one of the coolest things we're doing right now is we're converting our airplanes to electric (laughs) so we took the air race one series and uh branched off into the air race e series uh with electric motors and so we don't know, we don't have a power plant or battery combination yet. We're working on that right now. There's several teams working on it. But uh, the intent right now is to, is to take our current O200 airplanes and make them electric. Wow. And then that opens up a whole bunch of interesting venues. Sure does. And yeah. uh, technologies. And then we can start uh, innovating with more electric technology, which is kind of the way of the future. Yeah, Scott, we're almost out of time here, and I want to talk about just briefly the, the future of this of this sport in Canada, because we, you know, we're talking about China, we're talking about Reno, racing in Reno. Is Are there races here? Are there going to be races in this country? So we, um, we just raced down in Henan in China, just uh-huh. outside Wuhan City. Uh, we realized that the venue at Henan is set up almost identical to Villeneuve Airport, mm. which is northwest of, this, uh-huh. of uh, Edmonton kind of west of St. Albert. Uh, And so we actually had several formula racers up uh, uh, several months ago, uh, uh, actually in the springtime, to look and evaluate that as as a new potential venue. And we have a lot of uh, interest in racing there, and so okay. we're hoping that we can we can set something up in the near future. Well, Scott, huh. thank you so much for joining us and and sharing with uh, our listeners about this sport and you know teaching us about it as well. I, uh, I I would go see this in a second. I, I would go and watch this in a second. Uh, someone texted and said, "Yeah, you're." Um, Uh, as crazy as bull riders then. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Best of luck in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.